Hi everyone, welcome back to Legends of Surgery. I'm your host, Tyler Rouse. Slight change of plans. For those listening carefully at the end of the last episode, you may recall I said I would do an episode on Liz Frank. However, that is on hold until I can get an article translated from the original French, but I'm really excited about starting this podcast series. When I began researching it, I thought it would make one medium-length episode. Boy, was I wrong. There's so much interesting history here, especially considering the revolutionary nature of laparoscopic surgery and the number of surgeons that contributed to its development that I'm going to divide this into three parts. The first, origins, will look back at some of the first experiments done that opened the door. The second part will look at the pioneers that brought laparoscopic surgery into the modern era. And finally, we'll peek into the future, which is already here, with robotic surgery. There's lots to get to, so let's begin the first part of the series on Legends of Surgery. First, I'd like to clarify a few terms and lay out some general concepts that will appear as we follow the fascinating history of one of the greatest breakthroughs in surgical history. One term we should explain is endoscopy. The origin of the word comes from endo, meaning inner, and scope, meaning to observe. So basically it means to look inside. The term was actually coined in 1853 by Antonin Jean de Sormo, a French urologist and one of the early pioneers of the field. Today people often use it separately from laparoscopically, and even limit it to upper GI scopes and colonoscopies. But really, it means the full gamut of using an instrument to look inside the human body. And at this point in surgery, there aren't many places a scope hasn't been, with every specialty using it in some fashion or another. Just to give you a flavor, with a caveat that I'm certainly missing many sites, here are some examples beyond looking at the upper and lower GI tracts for those of you that may not know. Upper respiratory tract, like nose and throat. Lower respiratory tract, like the bronchi of lungs. The urinary tract, including bladder, urethra, and ureters. The uterus, joint spaces, chest cavity, and even the pericardium, which is the space around the heart, and the brain. Now you may have noticed that I did not mention the abdominal cavity. Using instruments to enter the abdominal cavity and look around and even do operations is of course a part of endoscopy, but it isn't called that. This particular area is called laparoscopy and has its own unique requirements in history and has led to a revolution in a number of surgical fields that continues unabated with great enthusiasm. This area will be the focus of the series, but to get there, we'll have to follow the evolution of early endoscopy as their origins go hand in hand. Evidence of doctors using instruments to peer into body cavities dates back to ancient medical texts from Egypt, China, India, and Greece. Hippocrates, in his book The Art of Medicine, dating back to 400 BC, describes using a speculum to examine the rectum for lesions. This investigations continued during the Dark Ages and Middle Ages, predominantly by Arabic physicians working with reflected light to see further and deeper into the human body than ever before, including the great Abu al-Qasim, considered by many to be one of the greatest surgeons of the pre-modern era, and certainly someone I want to come back to later. And before we get to the modern era, a couple more things. Now first, most people have heard the term laparoscopy, but I would guess that many people, myself included, had never really thought about where it comes from. And once again, we have Greek to thank. Lapara means the soft parts of the body between the rib margins and hips, or basically the flank, which can also be taken to mean the abdominal wall and, of course, scope to observe. This term would not be the first one used to describe the procedure, but early in our history it becomes well established. The other point I want to make is that two themes will emerge in this story, both of which regular listeners of the podcast might find familiar. The first is that many surgical breakthroughs really built on prior knowledge and discoveries, and yet, almost paradoxically, these breakthroughs require visionaries to take the next leap and are often ridiculed and dismissed by the medical community before their contributions are finally recognized. 
The story of endoscopy and laparoscopy are no different. There are many of these visionaries, too many to cover even in three podcasts, let alone the first one. So if you have a favorite that I don't mention, please forgive me. My effort here is to touch on some of the most famous ones and cover their contributions to the field. This episode will start with the surgeon considered the first modern endoscopist and will end with the first laparoscopy performed on a living patient. Philip Bozzini was an Italian-German born May 25, 1773 in Mainz, Germany. Now this doesn't really have anything to do with the history, but I found it this interesting. His father, Nicholas Maria Bozzini de Boza, came from a wealthy Italian family and had to escape Italy in 1760 as a result of a fatal duel. Philip began his medical career in 1797, but by 1804, his main focus was on the development of his endoscope, which he called the leak liter, or light conductor. In 1806, Bozzini demonstrated his endoscope on living patients to a group of physicians and professors at the private maternity institute of Professor Ludwig Friedrich von Froerip at Hall, Germany. The invention was received with both enthusiasm and praise, as well as criticism, saying that it was impractical, useless, and even dangerous. But what made this a unique breakthrough is that it was the first significant attempt to visualize the interior of the body using candlelight reflected by angled mirrors through an aluminum tube and reflect the images back to the eye through a second tube. It was initially used to inspect the vagina, but it would later be used to look at the rectum, urethra, and even the upper airway with an attachment called, and forgive my German here, a Winkelitung, which translates as angle conductor, to go further, looking at the larynx, or the voice box, making it also the first working laryngoscope. Now, Bozzini was a visionary ahead of his time, and even wrote about the significance of the endoscope's operative potential. Bozzini's light conductor was probably the most frequently used endoscope for the first quarter of the 19th century, and was in use up to 50 years later. Now, Bozzini himself was appointed one of four physicians in the city of Frankfurt, designated to care for the surrounding peasant areas as a plague physician. It was while working during an outbreak in March of 1809 that he contracted typhoid fever and died April 4th at the age of only 36. Now amazingly, after World War II, during the renovation of the Frankfurt Cathedral, a gravestone to the memory of Bozzini was discovered with this engraving, quote, to the devout soul of Philip Bozzini, doctor of medicine, who was the first to explore the inside of organs through his ingenious light projector. He was able to tenaciously fight fever in other people with a great sense of duty and succumbed on the night from the 4th to the 5th of April, 1809, in his 36th year of life, his faithful friend, F.F. Now, the original Bozzini endoscope itself has an amazing history, too. It was kept at the Josephinum, originally an Academy of Medicine and Surgery for Army Surgeons and now a medical museum in Vienna, for over 100 years. Now, following the Allied occupation of Vienna in 1945, it disappeared, only to reappear, and this is true, in a cardboard box in the basement of the old headquarters of the American College of Surgeons in Chicago by Dr. Irving Bush, who cleaned it and displayed it on his TV set for several years. The ACS did later have it on display, but returned it in a ceremony in 2002 to the Josephinum, where it currently resides, in exchange for a working copy made from Bozzini's descriptions by the company Mercedes-Benz. I'll post a picture of it on Twitter. Now, as mentioned, Bozzini envisioned using the endoscope to do surgical procedures, but the first to actually do this was Antonin Jean de Sormo, a French urologist. He made a number of improvements on these early endoscopes, and as mentioned before, actually coined the term endoscopy. He was able to do some simple procedures through open slits on the shaft of the scope, doing things like cauterize or burn, lesions with chemicals like silver nitrate, and treat strictures or narrowings of the urethra. 
De Sormo presented his device to the Academy of Science in Paris on July 20, 1853, and even wrote a textbook called De l'Endoscopie, which popularized endoscopic treatments, and many sources call him the father of endoscopy. Okay, I have just two more people I want to mention before we get to laparoscopy itself. I'll be brief, I promise. Now, the first is Adolf Kuzmol, which those of you that study medicine may recognize from things like Kuzmol breathing. Now, he may not deserve mention over many of the other endoscopy pioneers of the 19th century, except for an interesting anecdote. He wanted to visualize the esophagus directly, which hadn't been done before. The esophagus had been seen indirectly using mirrors, but to use the scopes of the day, which were rigid tubes, you'd have to pass it through the mouth and down the esophagus in a straight line. Now, to figure out if this was possible, he hired a sword swallower. Apparently, this revelation came from a colleague who saw a performer while having a pint at the local pub. Kuzmol was able to get a 47-centimeter-long rigid tube down to the stomach, something that had never been done before. This was in 1868. He and the sword swallower toured extensively, giving demonstrations at leading hospitals. Next is Maximilian Karl Friedrich Nitze, a German urologist working with a Viennese instrument maker, Joseph Leder, to create what is considered the first modern cystoscope, which is used to look at the urinary tract. His scope featured electrically heated platinum wire sheathed in a goose quill for illumination, a cooling system of flowing ice water, which is important when your light source is hot, and telescopic lenses, which he himself said was due to a, quote, lucky break that led me on the right path, end quote. He was cleaning a dusty eyepiece of a microscope and looked through it, seeing a reduced and inverted image of the church across the street, which was his eureka moment. Nitzi demonstrated his working scope on May 9, 1879, to the Royal Imperial Society of Physicians. Now, he later incorporated the electric light bulb, which had been recently invented by Thomas Edison in 1880. The scope that he had even used a heated wire loop, which allowed for coagulating or burning lesions in the bladder. Nietzsche is also credited with taking the first endoscopic pictures. All right, let's get to laparoscopy. The first to try this was George Kelling, a German surgeon. Kelling's early work was on determining stomach volume by filling it with air, which is called insufflation, which led to his interest in endoscopy, and he studied gastroenterology and worked with a number of the leading endoscopists of the day. Later, he would develop the concept of Lufttamponade, which was inflating the abdomen by injecting air to create pressure, which would cause compression of the blood vessels in the belly and stop internal bleeding. Now, the only measure at the time was opening up the belly to have a look, and that certainly had its own risks attached to it. He experimented with dogs going up to 100 millimeters of mercury using an instrument invented by the internist Alfred Fiedler, which was a trocar for body cavity invasion. So let's just take a minute here. Now a trocar is an instrument with a three-sided cutting point enclosed in a tube. The point allows puncture of the body wall, which is then removed, leaving a tube leading to the body cavity, which can then be used to insert instruments or draw out fluid. Now the word trocar comes from the French trois, meaning three, and car, meaning side of a sword. Now, trocars will become important in laparoscopy, but we'll get to that later. Now, he published this in a paper entitled, quote, The Tamponade of the Abdominal Cavity with Air in Order to Control Life-Threatening Bleeding, end quote. Kelling wanted to observe the effects of this, saying, quote, I asked myself, how do the organs react to the introduction of air? To find out, I devised a method of using an endoscope on an unopened abdominal cavity, end quote. The key event was September 23, 1901, at the 73rd meeting of the Society of German Natural Scientists and Physicians in Hamburg, Germany. Following a lecture entitled, quote, On the Inspection of the Gullet and the Stomach with Flexible Instruments, end quote, he performed a laparoscopy on a dog 
calling it celioscopy, celio meaning abdomen, from the Greek koilia for belly. His ingenious idea was to use the Fiedler trocar to fill the belly with air and use a Nietzsche cystoscope to look inside, marking the birth of laparoscopy. He was the first to assort and describe a complete basic instrument for laparoscopy, and although he later claimed to have attempted the procedure on two patients, he failed to publish this work. An interesting but tragic side note, Kelling was likely killed during the Allied bombing of the German city of Dresden during World War II, which leveled a large part of the city. Now, our final person of interest is Hans Christian Jacobius, a Swedish internist who performed the first human laparoscopic operation in Stockholm. In 1910, he published his work in a paper called, quote, The Possibilities for Performing Cystoscopy in Examinations of Serous Cavities, end quote. Now, later, in 1912, he published a series of 97 laparoscopies that he performed over two years in Stockholm, many of which were done to remove fluid from the abdomen, called ascites. Now, in 1910, he had also used a cystoscope to look into the chest cavity of a patient with scarring from tuberculosis, which was the first thoracoscopy ever recorded. In fact, he referred to both procedures as laparothoracoscopy. Now, Jacobius was able to visualize and describe a number of disease processes, including cirrhosis of the liver, metastatic cancer, and tuberculosis peritonitis, which is basically the spread of the infection into the abdominal cavity. He recognized the possible diagnostic use of laparoscopy in patients with vague abdominal discomfort, but was also the first to identify the possibility of injuring organs, especially the intestines, when inserting the trocar. In fact, he had a very cautious approach to laparoscopy and recommended endoscopic training for anyone doing it. An interesting side note was that he sat on the Nobel Prize Committee from 1925 until his death in 1937. I'll end with a quote from one of his articles. Quote, For laparoscopy to find general application, it must become completely safe. The risk is, of course, in the introduction of the needle into the peritoneal cavity. How great this risk actually is cannot be established with any certainty, Certain authors consider the danger relatively insignificant, whereas others, particularly surgeons, estimate the risk to be much higher. The final range of applications of the method cannot yet be foreseen. However, I believe that I've demonstrated that the method is of practical value, end quote. And so the age of laparoscopy began. Now that wraps up another episode of Legends of Surgery. I hope you enjoyed it. In our next episode, we'll cover some of the pioneers that made advances in technology and perform some of the first procedures, which we now consider routine, as well as learn about some of the obstacles they faced. So please rate the podcast on iTunes and leave a comment there, or follow me on Twitter at Surgery Legends, like us on Facebook at Legends of Surgery, or send an email to legendsofsurgery at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you about your thoughts on the podcast or ideas for future episodes, and as always, thanks for listening. Thank you.